Chapter 15 of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gerken, Gilbert, Arizona. Regiment of Women by Clemens Dane. Chapter 15. Cynthia Griffiths had set a fashion. Her cupid hair ribbons and abbreviated blouses were an unofficial uniform long after she had ceased, probably, to know that such articles of dress existed. Her slang phrases incorporated themselves in the school vocabulary. Her deeds of daring do were imitated from afar. To have been on intimate terms with her would have been an impressive distinction had not every member of the school been able to lay claim to it. For Cynthia's jolly temperament laughed at schoolgirl etiquette, could never be brought to realize the existence of caste and clique. She darted into their lives and out again, like a dragonfly through a cloud of gnats. It was not strange that her beauty, her prodigality, in conjunction with the all-excusing fact of her nationality, should have attracted the weathercock enthusiasm of her companions, should have made her, short as her career had been, the rage. Yet the one person on whom that career was to have a lasting influence was, to all appearance, the least affected by it. Cynthia and Louise Denny were classmates, for Claire, amused and interested by the new type, had, after all, arranged for Cynthia to join the scholarship class, though there could be no idea of her entering. She agreed with Alwyn that there was not much likelihood of Cynthia's sojourn being a long one. In the meantime, as she had explained to Miss Marsham, it was better to have the firebrand under her own eye. Miss Marsham agreed with alacrity, and contrasted Claire's calmly capable manner with the protests of Henrietta. She realized joyfully that Cynthia would not be permitted to appeal from any decision of Miss Hartle. She recalled, not for the first time, that in all Claire's years there had never come a crisis for which she had been found unprepared. Details of a campaign might finally reach the ears of authority. There would be always birds of the air to carry the matter, but from Miss Hartle herself, no word. If pressed, there would be a brief summary, a laughing comment, never an appeal for help. Miss Marsham had built up her school by sheer force of personality. She was old now, grown slack and easy, but instinctively she recognized a ruling spirit, a kindred mind. One day she must choose her successor. She was rich. Her school need not fall to the highest bidder. There were Henrietta and Claire. Henrietta had scraped and saved, she knew. Henrietta was fond of trying on authority's shoes. Of Claire's wishes she was less sure. But Claire was a capable girl. A capable girl. Claire had never let anyone worry her. She read Claire correctly. Claire had no intention of allowing Cynthia Griffiths to lessen her prestige but she had her own method of solving the American problem. She treated her new pupil with the easy good humor, the mocking friendliness of an equal. She realized the impossibility of counteracting the effects of a haphazard education, but recognizing equally the inherent kindliness and lawlessness of the character played on both qualities in her management of the girl. Her classes were not demoralized, but stimulated by the newcomer's presence yet Claire had said nothing to Cynthia of rules and regulations. But Miss Hartle's manner had certainly implied that while to her, too, they were folly and weariness, after all it was easy to conform. 
It saved trouble and pleased people, all conveyed without prejudice to the morals of her other pupils in a shrug, and a twinkle in a half-finished phrase. Cynthia was charmed. Here was common sense. For the first time she felt herself at home. She appalled the classes by her loud encomiums, her delighted discovery of qualities that it was blasphemy to connect with Miss Hartle. For Cynthia, with the pitiful shrewdness that her cosmopolitan years had instilled, admired Clare for reasons that bewildered the worshippers. To them, Clare moved through the school, a part, Olympian, a goddess, condescending delightfully. To Cynthia, accustomed to intrigue, she was obviously and admirably Machiavellian. It amazed her that the English girls could not perceive Miss Hartle's cleverness, that they should adore her for qualities as foreign to her character as they were essentially insipid, and be indignant at understanding and discriminating praise. But Cynthia was above all philosophical. She shrugged her shoulders over the crazy crew, and reserved her comments for Louise, for in Louise, incredible as Alvin Durand, for instance, would have thought it, she did find a listener, an antagonist, easily pricked into amusing indignation, into white-hot denials, nevertheless a listener. Indeed, it was the attitude of Cynthia to Claire Hartle, rather than her personal attraction, that was responsible for Louise's departure from her original and sincere attitude of indifference to the advances of the popular American. Louise was less in the foreground than she had been in the previous term. She had come back to school, less talkative, less brilliant, but working with a dogged persistence that had on Alwyn, at least, a depressing effect. But Alwyn, also, was seeing less of the girl. Cynthia Griffiths obstructed her view. Cynthia, taking one of her vociferous likings to a sufficiently unresponsive Louise, for the rapprochement was scarcely a normal schoolgirl intimacy. Cynthia Griffiths had been intrigued by Louise's personality. She had been quick to grasp the importance of the child's position, to guess her there by reason of her brains and temperament. Yet to Cynthia, judging life, as she did, chiefly by exterior appearances, Louise, insignificant, timid, shadowy, was an incessant denial of her nevertheless recognizable influence in school politics. In the language of Cynthia, she was a dark horse. Cynthia was charmed. School life was dull. The mildest of mysteries was better than none. She would devote herself to deciphering a new type. This little English kid had undoubted influence with girl and mistress alike. Cynthia had intercepted glances between her and Miss Hartle, and Miss Durand, too, that spoke of mutual understanding. Perhaps it was money. Half the school in her pay? or secret influences of the most sinister? Hypnotism, maybe? Cynthia Griffith, fed on dime novels and magazine literature, was not ten minutes concocting the hopefulest of mare's nests. She approached Louise between excitement and suspicion. Cynthia was not scrupulous. She forced her way through the reserves and defenses of the younger girl, like a bumblebee clawing and screwing and buzzing into the heart of a half-shut flower. She found much to puzzle her, more to amuse, but nothing to justify her gorgeous suspicions. She confessed them one day to Louise, in a burst of confidence, and Louise was hugely delighted. 
Cynthia always delighted her. She liked her jolly ways and her sense of fun, and was quite convinced that she had no sense of humor at all. The conviction saved her some suffering. She was jealous, inevitably jealous, of the brilliant newcomer. Painfully alive, too, exaggerating and writhing at Claire's preoccupation with her, yet the warped shrewdness proper to her state of mind, she could calculate with painful accuracy how long it would take Claire to tire of her new toy, what qualities would soonest induce satiety. She guessed, hoped, prayed that Miss Hartle would discover, as she had done, Cynthia's lack of conscious humor, the obtuseness that underlay her boisterous ease. She was not fine enough to hold Miss Hartle long. She would grow too fond of Miss Hartle, would, in the terrible craving to render up her whole soul, expose herself in all her crudity. Louise did, for a while, soothe the jealousy, the tearing, clawing beast in her breast with that comfortable conviction. That her reasoning was subconscious, that she was unaware of the process of analyzation and deduction that led to her conclusions, is immaterial. She felt, and as she felt, she acted. Her reasons for her actions were sounder than she dreamed. She made mistakes often enough. Her profound occupation with Claire Hartle had induced a spiritual myopia. The rest of the world was out of focus, and it was her initial misunderstanding of Cynthia Griffiths that led to their curious, unaffectionate alliance. In all Louise's ponderings, she had never doubted but that Cynthia would, like the rest of the world, fall down and worship at the shrine of Claire Hartle. Cynthia Griffith, amused spectator of an alien life, did nothing of the kind, and Louise, amazed, fiercely incredulous, all suspicious, yet finally convinced of the inconceivable fact, it had a curious effect. She should have been indignant, contemptuous of the obtuse creature, as, indeed, in a sense she was, but chiefly she was conscious of a lifted weight, of an enormous and hysterical gratitude. Cynthia was a fool, a purblind Philistine. But what relief was in her folly? What immense security! Jealousy could not die out in Louise, but it entered on a new phase, became passive, enduring resignedly inevitable pain. But its vigilance, its fierce pugnacity was dead. For Cynthia, dear fool, did not care. Pearls had been cast before Americans. Louise was ready enough to be gracious to such exquisite insensibility. She became friendly. She had guarded her secret jealously from the world. She was keen on Miss Hartle, certainly, but so was half the school, at least. She was merely in the fashion, insignificant and circumspect, giving no confidences, no one but Claire herself, and Alwyn Duran, guessed at the intensity of her affection. But with Cynthia Griffith, she was reckless. Ostrich-like, she trusted to the protection of her formal disclaimer, while with each new discussion, each half-confidence, she exposed herself and her feelings more completely. And Cynthia, dropping her theories, began to be interested in the strange, vehement imp, with its alternating fits of frankness and reticence, wit and childishness, its big brain and its inexplicable yet obvious unhappiness. She affected Louise, was accustomed to pet and parade her, long before she had solved the problem of her character. 
Indeed, it was not until she had confided to the child her plans for an early departure that Louise relaxed her self-protective vigilance. She had begun, in her walks with Cynthia, to realize the relief and healing of self-expression. If Cynthia were going away to Paris, America, never to be seen again, what harm in talking, in saying for once what she felt? There was right pleasure in it, and, oh, what harm? Louise found an odd satisfaction in leading Cynthia, on her side, if you please, alert for evidence, the amateur detective still, to sit in judgment on Claire Hartle, would sit, horrified, thrilled, drinking in blasphemy. She would have allowed no other human being to impeach the smallest detail of Claire Hartle's conduct, but from Cynthia, though she raged hotly, she did allow, and in some queer fashion, enjoy it. She had, perhaps, a vague assurance that Cynthia, being a foreigner, could not be taken seriously. So the pair discussed Claire Hardell from all possible angles, till Louise occasionally forgot to keep up her elaborate pretense of indifference, to insist on its being understood that the discussion was radamanthine in its impersonality. Yes, I'm off soon, Cynthia had confided. They were sitting together in her cubicle. All this is slow. Slow? Never mind. Wait till this child gets going. She stretched herself lazily and flung back on her little white bed, arms behind her. Louise studied her magnificent torso. Why did you come? she demanded. Cynthia laughed. Italy, France, Deutschland. I'd done everywhere but England. Now comes a tour round the world. And so home. I'm Californian, you know. I'll have great times then. You don't live over here. You're afraid of your own shadows. Now an American girl. How do you mean? Aren't you? Always afraid of breaking rules? Haven't I asked you? Haven't I begged you to come out with me one day? Oh, Louise, it would be great. I saw a taxi man yesterday, outside church, with the duckiest eyes, lunch somewhere, and phoned through for the new show at Daly's. An American show. Dandy. Only taking you four years to transfer here. Let's go, Louise. We'd be back to supper. Louise twinkled. Rot, we'd be expelled. Cynthia opened her china-blue eyes. For a little thing like that? Why? We wouldn't miss a class. Besides, we'd say you asked me home to tea. Louise looked distressed. Their ideas of veracity had clashed before. Cynthia, watching mischievously, giggled. Poor kid! Doesn't it want to tell lies, then? You see, English people don't. Of course, I know it's different abroad, said Louise delicately. Haven't you ever, Louise? Louise flushed crimson. You have? Cynthia was amused. What was it, Louise? Oh, what was it? Tell. Oh, you needn't mind me. My average is, well, quite average. What was it? Louise's lips closed. I call you the limit, you know? English people don't. With a red-hot teradiddle on your little white conscience all the time. You're a good pupil, Louise. Louise, blushing, turned suspiciously. What are you at now? she demanded. I was thinking of Clarissa. Cynthia smiled with intention. 
Clarissa who? Claire, kid. Claire. Sweet Claire. Sugar sweet Claire. Our dear Dame Double. I wish you wouldn't talk like that, said Louise in her lowest voice. You know I hate it. All right, honey. Cynthia rolled lazily onto her side and pulled a box of chocolates from the shelf beside her. The room was quiet for a while. Cynthia? Um? What did you mean just now? Have a candy? No, thanks. Cynthia munched on. About Miss Hartle? Louise's tone was half defiant, half guilty. She felt disloyal in reopening the subject, yet Cynthia's hints rankled. I don't know. Nothing, I guess. Oh, but you did mean something, said Louise uneasily. Maybe. Tell me. Want to know? Yes. Badly? It's not true, of course, but I'd like to know. Cynthia's eyes danced. She could be grave enough otherwise, but her eyes and her dimples could never be kept in order. Tell about the teradiddle first, and I will. But to Louise a lie was a lie and no joking matter. She fidgeted. If you must know. I must. Well, you know how Miss Hartle hates birthdays? Why? At least school ones. You know, there's such a fuss at Miss Marsham's. A holiday, presents, and all that. So Miss Hartle won't let hers be known. Splendid isolation stunt. If you're going to be a hatefully unjust pig, I won't tell you. I apologize. Have a candy? Well, you know, Agatha found out that Miss Hartle was giving a party last week, and, of course, everyone thought it was for hers, but it turned out it was Daffy's birthday. Miss Hartle gave it for her. It was Agatha's fault. She was so dead certain about it. But what did it matter? Well, you see, I'd got some roses. Pale pink and yellow? Beauties? Yes. Oh, so that's where they came from. I did Dame Double an injustice. I thought it was the best boy, Cynthia gurgled. You saw them? I went to tea with her. It must have been that day. The eighth? Louise nodded. A party! Agatha is a coon. There was only Daffy there. I wonder she didn't ask you. Louise said nothing. Her face was expressionless. Mean old thing. Cynthia grew indignant as the situation dawned on her. She can't ask everyone. There was no reason whatever to ask me. But Louise's voice had a suspicious quiver in it, which Cynthia, with unusual tact, ignored. Well, about the roses... They were beauties, kid. Oh, I brought them round, going to school. I thought she'd started, but she hadn't. She opened the door, so there I was, stuck. Louise began to laugh. I'd meant to leave them, just without any name. I see, Cynthia twinkled. She was rather, rather breakfasty, you know, and I got flustered and forgot to wish her many happy. Wasn't it lucky? I was thankful afterwards. I only said they were out of the greenhouse, and I thought she'd like them. She did, too. Louise smiled to herself. Well? That's all. But where did the light come in? Oh. Oh, well, 
I'd bought them, you see, as if Mama would let me pick flowers. Besides, we haven't even got a greenhouse. But I had five shillings at Christmas, and sixpence in the pudding, and sixpence a week pocket money, and I never have anything to buy. I could well afford it, said Louise with dignity. That's not a lie, said Cynthia, disappointed. It's barely an, an evasion. I didn't mean to evade. I was only afraid she'd be cross, and yet I couldn't resist getting them. Do you know the feeling when you ache to give people things? But it was a lie, of course. Oh, well, you needn't mind. She tells plenty herself. Ask them, at least. Louise caught her up. There, that's it. That's one of the things. You're always hitting things. Why do you? I won't have it. Of course, I know you're only in fun. But if anybody hears you... I'm not. Oh, but it's no use talking. You think she's a God Almighty. What's the use of my telling you that she's a conceited... She's not. Oh, she's the right to be. She'd be a peach if I had the dressing of her. She doesn't like American fashions. We don't want her to. We like her as she is. And she knows it. You bet your bottom dollar. There's not much she doesn't know. Why, she simply lives for effect. She's the most gorgeous hypocrite. You're a beastly one yourself. You pretend you'd like her. But I do. I admire her heaps. But I understand her. You don't. She likes to be top dog. She'll do anything for that. She likes to know every woman and child in the school is a bit of putty, to knead into shape. I know. I've met her sort before. Only generally it was men they were after. And yet it bores her, too. Parenthesis, Cynthia shrewdly. That's why she likes me. I don't care two pens for her tricks. That stinks her up a bit. She'll be mighty bored when I go. Louise listened, angry, yet fascinated. It gave her a curious pleasure to hear Miss Hartle lied. She would hug herself for her own superior discernment. A phrase from a half-digested story often recurred to her. One doesn't defend one's God. One's God is a defense in himself. But Cynthia was going too far, abandoning innuendo for direct assault. She struck back. It's easy to say things. Just saying so doesn't make it so. And if it did, I shouldn't believe it. Oh, I can prove it, Cynthia laughed. Have you noticed the charrette comedy? Mademoiselle? Oh, she hates Miss Hartle. But she's French, of course. Does she just? Hmm. Well, there was a French girl. She left last term. She told Marion that Mademoiselle had said things to her about Miss Hartle. Agatha told me. Agatha loathes Mademoiselle. Of course, Mademoiselle is rather down on her. I don't wonder. You know how Agatha hazes her in class. I can't stand Agatha. Louise shook herself. Last French grammar it was awful. Silly, you know, not funny. One simply couldn't work. Mademoiselle kept her in. I suppose Agatha didn't like that. She's been a lamb since, anyway. About time, too. Shucks. It wasn't being kept in. It was Clarissa. Oh, my dear, it was fun. There was poor little Mademoiselle, storming away in her absurd English, and Agatha cheeking her for all she was worth. How did you hear? Why, I was in the studio. 
Agatha didn't know we were there, of course. The glass doors were open. You know, Daffy gives me extra drawing. And just when Agatha was in full swing, and Mademoiselle speechless with rage, Miss Hartle turned up. Wanted Daffy. Oh, go on, Louise cried breathlessly. It really was funny, you know. Miss Hartle was talking to Daffy, and the row was going on next door. You couldn't help hearing. And suddenly Daffy said, Daffy had been fidgeting for some time. Listen. And Clarissa said, Oh, oh. You know her way, with about ten O's at the end. And Daffy said, There, now do you believe me? Kind of crowing. And Miss Hartle, she just smiled like a cat with cream, and said, All right, Alwyn. All right, my dear, and went into the next room. Say, it was exciting. She didn't raise her voice, but she just let herself go, and in about two minutes, Agatha came out like a ripe cheese, literally crawling. I wish she hadn't shut the door. I couldn't hear any more. I could see, of course, and you bet I watched out of the tail of my eye. Daffy never noticed me. What happened then? Oh, they stood and talked, and Mademoiselle was scarlet and seemed to be pitching into Miss Hartle, as far as I could see, and Miss Hartle was letting her talk herself out, and sometimes she smiled and said something. That always started Mademoiselle off again, and at last Mademoiselle went and sat in one of the window seats, and I couldn't see her face, but I imagined she was howling. French people always do. Clarissa went and patted her shoulder. She is a dear. Loyally, Louise put back her instant jealousy. Oh, she was enjoying herself, said Cynthia coolly. You should have seen her face, sort of smiling at her own thoughts. Have you ever seen a spider smile? Louise disdained an answer. Nor have I. Have a candy? But I bet I know what it looks like. Well, what happened? demanded Louise impatiently. Oh, it was annoying. Daffy came and sat down in my place to correct. I couldn't see any more. Only when Miss Hartle came out, she didn't notice me. I was putting away the group. She said to Daffy, She's coming to tea on Friday. And Daffy said, Claire, you're a wonder. And Miss Hartle said, I didn't do it for her, Alwyn. And Daffy got pink. Clarissa did look pleased with herself. Well, so she ought. Wouldn't you be, if you could make people happy? Cynthia threw up her hands. Happy? Oh, Mama, are you happy? Louise winced. Is Daffy? Mademoiselle? Any of you fools? Oh, it's no use talking. You won't believe me when I tell you that she's a cat. Yes, a pussy cat, Louise. A silky, purring pussy cat, pawing you. Pat, pat, so softly like kisses. But if you wiggle, my, look out for claws. Have a candy? Louise gathered herself together. She came close to the bed, and leaning over the older girl, spoke. I don't understand what you're driving at, but you're wrong. It's you that's a fool. You misjudge her, utterly. You don't understand her. You're not fit to. Are you? Cynthia laughed at her openly. Of course not. No one. Daffy does, of course. But us? Girls? Just because she's been heavenly to you, you take advantage to watch her, to judge, 
to twist all she says and does. Why do you hate her so? I don't. Cynthia pulled herself upright. My dear, you're wrong there. I like her immensely. She's a real treat. But I don't worship her like you do. I don't. I, I just love her, Louise Glaub. Cynthia laughed jollily. Oh, well, you'll get over that. Wait till you get a best boy. If you think I'd look at any silly man after knowing her. My dear girl, has it never occurred to you that you'll marry some day? Louise shook her head. I've thought it all out. I never could love anybody as much as I do Miss Hartle. I know I couldn't. But it's not the same, falling in love with a man. Love's love, said Louise with finality. Where's the difference? Cynthia sat up. Where's the difference? Where's the... She giggled, but something in the quality of her laughter disturbed. Louise frowned. I didn't say anything funny. You'll love your husband, I suppose, that you're always talking about having... And I'll stick to Miss Hartle. It's perfectly simple. But Cynthia was still laughing. Louise grew irritable under her amused glances and would have turned away, but Cynthia flung her arm about her. Stop! Don't you really know? What? The difference. Cynthia's eyes shone oddly. Louise moved uneasily, disconcerted by their expression. Cynthia continued. Hasn't anyone told you? Why, with the books you've read? Haven't you read the Bible ever? Of course. Louise was indignant. I've been right through four times. And you've never noticed? Good Lord, that's all I read it for. I haven't any idea what you're driving at, said Louise. Cynthia was making her thoroughly uncomfortable. Cynthia was flushed, laughing pure devilry in her eyes. Her lips were pouted. Her little teeth gleamed. She looked a child looking at slips over forbidden dainties. She had pulled Louise into her lap, and her voice had dropped to a whisper. "'Shall I tell you? Would you like to know? You ought to. You're fourteen. It's absurd, not knowing about things. Shall I tell you?' Louise fidgeted. Cynthia's manner had aroused her curiosity, but nonetheless she was repelled. Why, she could not have said. She hesitated, aroused, yet half-frightened. I'll tell you, said Cynthia lusciously. With a sudden effort, Louise freed herself from the encircling arm. She edged away from the elder girl, stammering a little. I don't think I want to know anything. It's awfully sweet of you. I'd rather... I always ask Daffy things. Do you mind? Cynthia, good-tempered as ever, laughed aloud. Lord, no! But what a little saint! Aren't you ever curious, Louise? All right, I won't tease. Have a candy? And Louise, eating chocolates, was not long in forgetting the conversation and all the curious discomfort it had aroused. If a leaf had fallen on the white garment of her innocence, a leaf from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she had brushed it aside, all unconscious, before it could leave a stain. End of chapter 15, recording by Nancy Cochran-Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.